The cross is the way in which God has chosen to express his love for us in the world. It is a place of atoning love, forgiveness, and redemption. Find out more about this central theme of Christianity today on the Central Baptist Church Podcast. Churches may invest a lot in programs today to help people build their marriages and families, to grow in their personal lives. They may engage, as we do locally, in food banks and shelters to help the homeless. They may participate globally in overseas missions, as Central does. But can I say to you this morning, important as these endeavors are, they are not the crux of the Christian faith. Because the Christian faith is a resurrection faith. Its central message must be always about the resurrection. Which says that there's life after death, there is a world to come. Christian hope is not to be confused with the Greek concept of the immortality of the soul. Jesus said, I am the resurrection and the life. Some weeks ago in preparation for this Easter again, I read through the climax, the last chapters of the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. The story about the cross and the resurrection. They record the testimony of those who witnessed the risen Jesus, disciples, the testimony of women, the two travelers who met him on the road to Emmaus, a man called Thomas who had trouble believing that he really had risen. He said, unless I put my hand into the print of the nails, I will not believe. He needed what I call intellectual integrity. I understand the struggle of Thomas. I really do. Because I also needed intellectual integrity to come to faith. We possess in what we call the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, four outstanding documents written within a few decades of the resurrection. And each of these documents can directly or indirectly claim an eyewitness account of the record of the, the, of the events that they record. So please understand, maybe young adults, young people, we should never, ever be ashamed about the historical basis of our faith as Christians. So what do we do in this Easter Sunday? Well, let me teach you a hymn. A hymn that you may know. In the New Testament, there's a short passage, maybe only five, six verses, which covers the entire life of Jesus. From the time he existed in heaven with God, to when he became human, to the time of his death, his resurrection, and then he is exalted again by the Father back to heaven. It's a great passage to memorize. It's only five or six verses. And it probably was what we call an early hymn of the church. Something they knew, perhaps they sang, perhaps they chanted, as part of the worship service. If you have a Bible or you follow a cell phone, whatever, this morning, if you can open it, Philippians chapter 2, verses 5 through to 11. That's all you'll need. Verse 5 is kind of the introduction to the hymn. It says, in your relationships with one another, have the same mindset, kind of thinking as Christ Jesus. And then the hymn begins. 
It has four movements to it. It begins with what we'll call exaltation. Who in the being in the very nature God did not regard equality with God's as something to be used to his own advantage. The next movement is we'll call incarnation. Rather, he made himself nothing, taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a man. The third movement is quiet and soft. He humbled himself, becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. And then the last movement. It's a movement of what we'll call hyper-exaltation, super-exaltation. Therefore God exalted him to the highest place and gave him a name which is above every name, that in the name of Jesus every knee should bow, in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord. To the glory of God the Father. We need to go back and unpack this hymn. And catch, please, between what we call verse 8. There's no verse numbers in the Bible. Between verse 8 and verse 9, there's a gap of at least three days. It says, by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. I have in my mind a picture of an orchestra conductor. He gets to this point in the hymn, and he pauses. The orchestra, you by the way, the orchestra is silent. The house lights dim to darkness. There's no sound. Everyone waits in silence. What will happen next? And then slowly, the orchestra conductor lifts his baton. The lights go up. And the music starts with a great, great burst of praise. Therefore God exalted him to the highest place. Gave him a name which is above every name. That in the name of Jesus every knee should bow. In heaven and on earth and under the earth. And every tongue confess and acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. It recalls the prayer of Jesus in John 17. Before he went to the cross, he prayed, you remember, and now, Father, glorify me in your presence with the glory that I had with you before the world was. Jesus comes back to that, perhaps even, even a little higher again. He's praying that after this interval of humanity and humiliation, he will be returned to the glory perhaps even to more glory than he had before his birth. So do you catch the, in the hymn, there's a space between the death on the cross and this exaltation by God? A space, actually a gap of at least three days in which something must have taken place for God to step in and intervene. What, what might have happened in this darkness? We need to be careful. But perhaps there's some hints in the scriptures that tell us what happened so that God would step in with the power of resurrection and exalt Jesus. Let me ask you to work with me this morning on that. Here's at least four things that take place in the darkness and the silence of these days. 
things that have an impact and meaning on your life and my life on this Resurrection Sunday and beyond. These are just headings. Got to fill in a lot of stuff. The Resurrection declares that Jesus won victory over death. The Resurrection cry, Christ is risen. Not just risen in our hearts, but he has actually risen from the dead. You know, the evidence for the resurrection of Jesus is not only strong, it is overwhelmingly compelling. The opening of the book of Acts, Dr. Luke writes, Jesus gave many convincing proofs that he was alive. The Greek word for convincing there means proof beyond doubt. The resurrection is not just some incidental part of the Christian faith. It is the very heart of the Christian faith. It is the crux of our matter. Not just to be celebrated on this Easter Sunday, but every Sunday Christians come together to celebrate the resurrection of Jesus from the dead. We meet on the first day of the week to celebrate God's work and his presence in a new creation. Jesus lives, and because he lives, we may live also. The world that seems to be both dying physically, morally, emotionally, we can claim them the good news of life in Christ. Death no longer has the last word. H.G. Wells, the British author who is best known for science fiction novels, and who declared really no Christian beef, belief whatsoever, sadly says, if there is no larger life after death, then life, this life is a huge, ugly joke. Man, he says, is like a braying ass across the scenes of history. That is a tragedy. That is a tragedy. But as we have sung this morning and declared, the good news is that Jesus has broken through the wall of death. Jesus has carved a trail through the valley of the shadow of death. And through faith, we can follow him. He has forced open a door that has been locked since the death of the first man. He has met and fought and beaten the king of death. And everything is different because he has done so. We need to recall that, folks, every time we stand at a graveside. When we say goodbye to a loved one, a friend, a spouse, even a child. I struggle today when I look at the Times colonist and I see obituary notices in the newspaper. And it says again and again, no service by request. In other words, nothing. Or for some people, a growing interest in incarnation. Why is that? My sense is that people are trying to believe in something, anything, because they've rejected the one place and the one person in whom you can find true hope. So the message of this resurrection becomes all the more urgent. In our dying and despairing world, there's a desperate need for the good news of Jesus Christ. And it's not only good news for the future, it's good news for today, for the present. The risen Christ offers hope and help for the world, for people here and now. That's what you heard in the testimonies of the baptism.
The risen Christ gives power for living. The risen Christ who conquered death promises to be with his people to the very end. That is good news indeed for a world that is so marked with loneliness and stress and pressure of every kind. When you watch the TV news every night, what do you see? War in Ukraine. Riots in France. Tornadoes in the US. Financial stress for many people. Police officers being killed in the line of duty. Do you know that in Canada, there have been eight police officers shot and killed in the past seven months since September last year? A couple of weeks ago, three teachers and three children shot in a Christian school. And we ask ourselves as we shake our head, where, where will this all end? Where will this all end? As Scott read for us this morning, the, the book of Revelation opens with a vision that John has of a Jesus risen and exalted. It is not the Jesus of the future, but Jesus as he is now, exalted and glorified. And John says, when I saw him, I fell at his feet as though dead. Then he placed his right hand on me and said, do not be afraid. I am the first and the last. I am the living one. I was dead. And look, I am alive forever, forever. And I hold the keys of death and hell. I get the sense that Jesus can say that, that he holds the, the keys of death and Hades in his hands because he fought and wrestled Satan for them in the tomb and Jesus won. He got the keys of death and hell out of Satan's hands. And now he holds those keys in his hands. They're his. He won. The resurrection declares that Jesus did his work. What was his work? It was to do the Father's work to love the world. Remember on the cross he cried out, it is finished. What was finished? The work he came to do was finished. Romans says to us, he was delivered over to death for our sins and was raised to life for our justification. So the two sides of the cross, you see, are death and resurrection. His death was for our sins, and that broke through to resurrection. Jesus won that for us. Justification is a legal term. In the Bible, it means being declared not guilty. And his death for our sins, Jesus went to the Father on our behalf and he pleaded our cause. He won for us the freedom from the penalty and the power of sin. In this resurrection, Jesus declares the outpouring of the Spirit. In the Old Testament, the Holy Spirit was involved in creation. The Spirit came from time to time to prophets and kings. He brought the word of the Lord and the word of wisdom to them. But that coming was usually intermittent. It was sporadic. It was given, then it was withdrawn. In John 16, Jesus, as he talks about going to Jerusalem to die, he sees, he sees sadness falling across the face of his disciples. They can hardly believe this. And he says to them as they struggle with the idea that he would soon be leaving them, 
He says, very truly I tell you, it is for your good that I'm going away. Because he says, unless I go, the advocate, that means the Holy Spirit, will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him. Peter expresses that same reality in his sermon at Pentecost. He says, exalted to the right hand of God, he received from the Father the promised Holy Spirit and has poured out what you now see and hear. So this is the coming of the Spirit from the resurrection of Jesus, who will teach and counsel and comfort and give his gifts to ministry for the church. He will bear fruit in our lives, in your life and my life, as we seek to follow the risen Christ. He will bring the words of Jesus back to us as we seek the truth. The Spirit is now, with, now given, now withdrawn. He's not just given to kings and prophets, but to every believer. So Jesus is exalted by the Father. The Spirit is the gift given to him, and subsequently through his life and ministry to us. And this resurrection and exaltation declares that Jesus Christ is Lord. Jesus began what we call his earthly ministry one day in the River Jordan by being baptized. And he heard his father's voice. This is my beloved son, and I am well pleased with him. God is saying, I find pleasure in what my son just did. When Jesus was alone on the cross, he lost sight of his father's face. Perhaps no longer heard his voice. But as death gives way to resurrection, he hears his father's voice again and it exalts him to a higher place. And the declaration is made, a proclamation is announced. Jesus Christ is Lord. That means he is both Savior and Lord. You cannot have half a Christ. There are two implications for this in the life of the church. The first one we've seen this morning, we've witnessed it five times, is the act of baptism. Baptism is saying and is being seen to say, Jesus Christ is Lord. He's number one in my life. Every person this morning was asked that. And they all said yes to that. Confessing Jesus Christ as Lord could not be conceived of in the life of the early church without being related to baptism. Baptism was this visible act, physical act, of confessing Christ as Lord. Let me suggest to you this morning, gently but honestly, that separating the time of conversion too far from the act of baptism or making baptism something as an added extra at a later date is unfortunate. I know it happens sometime in people's lives. I understand that and accept that. But if we confess with our mouth that Jesus is Lord, if we sing songs that say Jesus is Lord, then we should also confess in baptism with our bodies that Jesus is Lord. Confessing Christ as Lord in baptism gives this visible picture, as Phil explained to us, of the death and the resurrection of Jesus and the union of the convert with the Christian church. I realize I'm getting older these days. A year or so ago, one of my grandchildren said to me, Grandpa, you're not old. You're old, old. <laughs> really comforting and encouraging. But let me take a few, 
take you back a few years. Actually, a lot of years. As you know, I've told you I grew up in Glasgow in Scotland. The time I was a little boy, I attended a church around the corner from us called Deniston Baptist Church in the east end of Glasgow. That's where I grew up. I had friends and went to church every Sunday. When I was about 16 or so, I came to realize that this story in the Gospels had to become mine. So I accepted Jesus as Lord and Savior. I became a Christian one morning after the service down in the, the pastor's study. He knelt down with me, and I accepted Christ into my life. The church both taught and understood that this confession of Christ a few weeks later would be followed up with baptism, and I was baptized. I still hold that order to be true. So can I say to you this morning, just very gently, if you say you're a Christian, confess that with your mouth, but you've not taken the step of baptism, May I encourage you to think seriously about that from what you've seen this morning. The second implication is that confessing Jesus Christ as Lord, as we've sang and said, means that he's not only our Lord on Sundays when we're here at church. He continues to be Lord over every aspect of our lives on Mondays and Tuesdays and Wednesdays and so on through the week. It means in our lives that Jesus is always number one. And Jesus is not only Lord of some spiritual part of us. Jesus is Lord over all of us. Jesus is Lord over every part of us. So the word of praise, the word of exaltation that comes from the Father means for us too that Jesus Christ is Lord. Let me give you again this word of what's called hyper-exaltation from the Father to the Son to the church. Therefore God exalted him to the highest place and gave him a name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven, on earth, and under the earth, and every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord. Say it. Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. We want to take a moment to thank you for listening. And we invite you to join us on Sunday mornings in person or online. Thanks for listening to the Central Baptist Church Victoria podcast.